When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On this episode of Newt's World... Ever since he hit the world stage in 1956, Elvis Presley has been a global icon of rock and roll. His enduring fame was just reinforced by Baz Luhrmann's recent film Elvis, a musical biographical film about Presley's life, which Callista and I enjoyed very much. So I'm thrilled to welcome Billy Stanley, Elvis Presley's stepbrother. He's joined me to discuss his new book, The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother can tell. He talks about his life growing up with Elvis and Presley's Christian faith, its deep influence on his music, films, relationships, commitment to his family and fans, and his love for the gospel. The Faith of Elvis follows his number one New York Times bestseller, Elvis, My Brother, which was published in 1989. Billy, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, sir. Billy, if you would, help us better understand how everything evolved when Elvis's mother, Gladys, died in 1958, and then your mother brought you and your brothers to live at Graceland. How did that all come together? Well, Private Presley just happened to be stationed on the same base as my dad. My dad was a sergeant in the Third Army. And... My dad was constantly on maneuvers, and they met at an NCO club, and Vernon met my dad and my mom. And since my dad was constantly on maneuvers, my dad, Bill Stanley, would say, would you please take her out? I'm constantly on maneuvers. My dad was career military. He's 21 years in the Army. He served under Patton. 
that was his true love. So one thing led to another, Vernon taking my mom out with my real dad's encouragement, and they fell in love. In fact, my mother flew back with us and put us in a boarding school in Newport News, Virginia in 1959, and we stayed there for about four or five months until the divorce was final, and then we moved to Graceland. I know that Elvis had been assigned by the Army to the base in Germany. Why do you think his father, Vernon, had joined him in Germany? Well, he was going to be there for maybe a year or so, and Elvis loved to have his family around. So not only did he have his father, but he had his grandmother, and he even had a couple of guys that worked for him, you know, there in Germany with him. So he had a lot more folks hanging out with him than the average private. Oh, yeah. Well, he didn't live on barracks. He had his own house. <laughs> the house was better than any of the generals. <laughs> well, that sort of explains part of it. That's great. So what was he like when you first met him? When we first arrived at Graceland, it was at night, and this was in March of 1960. And so we pulled up to the house, and they woke us up. My brothers and I have two younger brothers, Rick and David, and they were showing us the house and said, this is where you're going to live. And to me, it looked like a castle because I've never seen anything like that. I've seen a lot of army barracks and stuff like that. So we go in and Elvis is shooting pool. So we go to the basement and there was this large group of people around the pool table. And all I heard was a voice say, eight ball in a corner pocket. So he must have made the shot because everybody started applauding and go, yay, Elvis, yay. And then all of a sudden the crowd parted and there he was standing at the end of the pool table. And I just kind of looked at him and went, oh, he's kind of neat. And he walks over and says, what have we got here, Daddy? And he reached down and picked all three of us up at the same time and said, these are your new little brothers. And he looked at his father and said, Daddy, I always want a little brother. Now I have three. So you were sort of welcomed from the very first moment. Oh, yes, sir. Well, what we did that night, we talked for about a, another hour or two, and then he tucked us in the bed. And before we went to bed... My brothers and I were jumping up on the bed after we brushed our teeth and had our pajamas on. He said, haven't you forgotten something? We went, kind of looked at each other like, what? And he said, how about your prayers? So he led us in a prayer. I've never forgotten this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for all your many blessings. Thank you for bringing these three little boys into my life. I promise to love and protect them the rest of my life. And I just kind of looked up at him like, wow, you know, that's neat. And then I didn't know it at the time, but he wasn't an early morning person. But the next day he comes running into our bedroom and it was like a fire drill. Come on, you got to get up, got to get up. We didn't know what was going on. We started looking for our clothes. He said, you don't have time for that. Just leave your pajamas on. So he puts my youngest brother, David, on his shoulders and takes me and Rick by the hand and takes us to the backyard. And when we get there, there was three of every toy you could think of. He had gone to the store after he had a store opened. And after he tucked us in and then bought three, instead of us fighting over one toy, he bought three of every toy you can think of. And they was all sitting in the backyard. I thought he was Santa Claus right then. <laughs> what a great way to be welcomed to the family. I was going to say, that's a pretty amazing opening to a relationship. I mean, your first 24 hours with Elvis was remarkable. Yes, sir, it was. I'll never forget it. <laughs> so you then went to your very first concert on February 25th, 1961. As I understand it, you'd never been to a concert before. What was that like? I thought it was nice at first because we were up in a balcony seat and looking down at all the people, and I was going, oh, this is nice. And then when Elvis came out, it, 
the madhouse. I mean, everybody started screaming and yelling and running toward the stage. And I thought they was trying to hurt him. I didn't know that that's what fans, because I'd never been to a concert. I didn't know what to expect. So I thought they was trying to injure him. And then after he spoke with everybody at Graceland after the show, we talked to him for a few moments. And I just asked him, I said, why was everybody screaming and shouting? He said, well, some people do that when they get excited, if they like the music. I said, they really must love you and your music because they were running after you and, you know, screaming and yelling. And he laughed. He said, this is just the beginning, Billy. This is just the beginning. So, I mean, here you are now with a pretty big guy. It's pretty obvious after that concert that Elvis is something different. Yes, sir. Well, it really didn't dawn on me that he was famous even at that point. I was in the first grade, and he picked me up at school in a pink Cadillac. And when I came outside, I noticed there was teachers and the principal and parents and students all around this pink Cadillac. I was what is this? And so I walk up to the car and he opens the door and lets me in. He said, ask me how school. I said, it was great. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm signing autographs. I didn't know what autograph was. I said, what's that? He said, well, you just put your name on a piece of paper. I went, oh. And then Elvis looked at some of the people and the students. He said, would you like anybody like to have my little brother's autograph? And then all the little girls squealed. Yeah, yeah. And so he hands me a piece of paper and I reach in my book bag and I pull out a red crown. And I'm just learning how to write, so I put Billy on it, and that was it. And so this goes on for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then he excuses us. He says, you know, Billy just got out of school. I need to take him home so he can eat and do his homework. So as we're driving away, I'm trying to process this in my little seven-year-old brain. I'm going, are you famous or something? And he kind of laughs. He said, well, some people think I am. I said, so I'm trying to think of somebody famous, and I go, are you more famous than Mickey Mouse? And he laughs. He said, some people think I am. He said, I tell you what, I'll get daddy to play some of my movies for you and play some of my records so you have a better understanding of what I do. I said, neat. <laughs> but the great thing about it, growing up with him, as I got older and, and in my teens and stuff, you know, we'd talk about, you know, Elvis, you're the king. He'd always say, no, there's only one true king, and that's Jesus. But he said, Billy, what I do is not important. What my fans do for a living is more important than what I do. He said, I'm just an entertainer. That's it. He said, they're people just like everybody else. From that moment on, I just, wow, okay. What was Christmas like at Graceland? Well, I like to kid around with people that the only difference between Christmas and everyday life with Elvis is at Christmas we had a tree. Because he tried to make every day like Christmas. Christmas was fun. It was always funny, especially when we was decorating the tree, because it was kind of like a family affair. When I say family, I'm talking about all the people that work for Elvis, too. So everybody would be together, and then we start decorating a tree. And when Priscilla was there, she had this thing where you take the silver tinsel and put one strand on at a time. Well, he liked taking it by the handful and just throwing it up in the air and letting it fall on the tree. So what would happen is there would be a discussion about how to put tinsel on the tree. And it was always funny. The next day we would come in, and then most of the tinsel would be removed from the tree. So Elvis would just say, well, I guess the tinsel fairy came and got some. <laughs> now, I got the impression that he really saw the faith part of Christmas as really important. Yeah, well, that's where we learned it from, my brothers and I. It wasn't about presents. It's about Jesus' birthday is what it really is. And so, I mean, that was the most important part right there to him. And like I said, giving to him was just second nature. I mean, 
he said many times, what's the use in having it if you can't share it with your fellow man? And that's what he did. I mean, I've seen him give money to people that he didn't know. So the Elvis that you knew was vividly aware of his faith. Oh, yes, yes. He constantly had the Bible with him. It was always sitting on his nightstand next to his bed. And I can't count how many times he would call me to his room or call me, Rick, and David to his room, and he'd be sitting on the edge of the bed reading his Bible. It was almost like a daily read for him. From that standpoint, he was also really influenced by gospel music. The whole church experience had a significant part of creating what became the Elvis effect. Right. He told me, he said, when I first came out, Billy, they thought I was the Antichrist. And I said, what do you mean? Because he said, you know, I was a little bit different than everybody else, you know. And I went, okay. But the way he moved and stuff on stage, if you really look, you see the gospel singers, you know, they move when the Holy Spirit touches you. So, you know, that's all it was, is the music touched him. And it wasn't anything to be lewd or anything like that. That was the furthest thing from his mind. It was just a natural response. I mean, who do you think taught Elvis about God? Where did he learn this? Well, he was raised in the church. His father was a Sunday school teacher, and his mom, you know, they attended church pretty much every Sunday back when they was living in Tupelo, Mississippi. That's what Vernon Presley, Elvis's dad, told me. And that's where he fell in love with the music, because he would hear the gospel songs, the choir, and he even tried out for the choir, and they said he wasn't good enough. He even tried out for the Glee Club in high school, and they said he wasn't good enough. <laughs> so I wonder what they're thinking now. Yeah, that's pretty funny, actually. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. 
LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And I didn't realize this until I looked at your work that while Elvis had released two dozen albums in different styles, he only won Grammy Awards for his gospel music and that you could feel something deeper and more special when he sang those songs. Was that your feeling? Yes, sir. The challenge I give everybody today is always you pick out any one of your favorite Elvis songs, I don't care which one it is, then play a gospel song right afterwards you'll hear the difference. He sang every song with all his heart and soul, but there was just more conviction in the gospel music. It really was inside him. Oh, yes, sir. He had the faith of a child. And what I mean by that is he read the Bible almost every day, like I said, but he took it literally. And I mean, he took the teachings. You know, it says the Lord loves a generous giver. Well, Elvis's generosity is world famous for giving cars to people he didn't know, money. I mean, there was one instance where Elvis and I was just riding around Memphis one day because that was one of the things he loved to do is just get in the car and ride around. And so when he asked me to go, I said, "Okay." He said, well, get my wallet. So I had to run upstairs to his room and grab his wallet and put it in my briefcase. And we're just riding around looking and we see a homeless man walking down the street. Elvis makes a U-turn, and as he's making a U-turn, he says, hand me the money and the wallet, Billy. I said, okay, how much? Now, when I talk about Elvis's wallet, he had so much money in it, you couldn't bend it. He said, all of it. I said, okay. So I handed him money. He kind of tucked it between his legs. We pulled up to the gentleman. Elvis rolls his window down. The guy was, to say the least, was shocked when Elvis rolled that window down. Mr. Presley, his eyes got real big. He said, yes, sir. He started going off on telling Elvis, you know, how much... You know, he loved him, and he at one point, he had all of his records. He'd seen all of his movies, and Elvis, after that, said, okay, that's enough about me, sir. He said, let's talk about you now. And the guy just kind of surprised me. He said, okay, Elvis, said, so, so what's going on? He said, well, I'm down on my luck right now. He said, but things are going to change. He said, I'm walking down here to the unemployment office. I'll be getting a job here soon. And so Elvis reached out to shake his hand, and when he did, he had the money, in it, and the guy just kind of, he looked at it and said, no, 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 I can't take this. He said, yes, sir, you can. He said, this is my way. We're paying you for watching all those silly movies and, you know, buying all my records. He said, today, your luck has changed, sir. And the gentleman looked at Elvis and said, God bless you, Mr. Presley. And Elvis looked at him and said, sir, he already has. And when I was sitting in the car just looking at him, I mean, tears were coming to my eyes. I was going, if people could see the generosity this guy has for a complete stranger. I mean, he didn't know this guy at all. And I mean, let's do something to change this man's life right now. And he did it. And he, as we was pulling away, that's when he said, Billy, what's the use of having it if you can't share it with other people? 
his generosity and his depth of religious belief. I mean, in some ways, it's almost like he was more naturally a gospel singer who happened to sing rock and roll and star in movies, but he really was happy in the church. Oh, yes, sir. I asked him when I was little. I was probably about 14. I was in church pretty much every time the doors were open, three days a week. And so I asked him, how come you don't go to church? He said, well, he said, Billy, if I go, people will pay more attention to me than they will the pastor. He said, that's not right. So he watched gospel singers on Sunday mornings, and he watched Billy Graham revivals and stuff like that on TV all the time. Like I said, he was buried in the Bible almost every day anyway. So every day was like a Sunday school lesson with him. Part of what was so impressive was that his generosity was so real. I noticed that at one point he had contributed to over 50 different charities in the Memphis area. I mean, that's really a remarkable commitment to giving back that which you have earned. Yes, sir. There was one photo taken of him where he showed him signing checks. His instructions after that was, never do this again. I don't want you taking a picture of me doing something that everybody should be doing, contributing, helping others. He didn't want the notoriety for that. He continued to do that each year, but there was no pictures taken. He would just sign the checks and say, okay, Daddy, let's give them to the charities. I mean, the way Elvis did his income taxes is unbelievable. He would just go, how much did I make? And then he said, okay, well, take 50% and give it to the government. He didn't bother to get an accountant or anything like that. It was He was proud to be able to do that, to say, I gave 50% to my government. Is it really true that at one point you were on a first date and he gave your date a car? Yeah. <laughs> it was just a girl that I'd seen and asked her to go on a date with me. And, you know, when she said, yeah, I didn't tell her where we were going. And I said, she kind of what's this? I, when we pulled up to Graceland, I said, yeah, I'm Elvis's stepbrother. Oh, okay. And so it was just that day Elvis decided to go buy some cars for some people. We went with him. And then at the end of the day, his cousin, Patsy, he'd just given her a car and Patsy had a pretty new car. And so he looked at the girl I was with. He said, what are you driving, sweetie? And she said, I don't have a car. And Elvis said, okay, here, you take Patsy's car. So he gave her Patsy's old car. <laughs> that was a pretty memorable first day. I mean, even it wasn't serious. But... Did that girl go out with you again? No, we stayed friends, but that was it. You know, I mean, it wasn't serious. That's pretty wild. Yes, it is. <laughs> Think of the story she has to tell. A lot of the cars that Elvis had, he would let me drive anytime I wanted to. And he would encourage me. Sometimes he had a, a car that was called a Stutz Blackhawk. And he just said, Bill, are you going to go pick this girl up? He said, go pick her up in this Stutz. I said, Elvis, that's your car. I got a car. You know, he said, but Billy, trust me, go pick her up in this car. I said, all right. And the parents, you wouldn't believe when they see me getting out. Here I am. I got long hair and I get out of this car wearing some kind of Led Zeppelin or a Who t-shirt and bell-bottom jeans and walk up to the door. And the parents usually just kind of go, well, it's here. But when I pull up in that car or something, they go, who is that? Whose car is that? That's my brother Elvis's car. Oh, well, come on in. Have a seat. You know, you, we're about to have dinner. You want to join us? <laughs> it, it changed real quick when they found out who I was. <laughs> you had a pretty powerful final conversation with Elvis. I don't know if you thought it was going to be your final conversation, but it has sort of a haunting quality to it. Can you describe that? 
Yeah, that was August 14th, 1977. I went up to visit with him before the tour just to say hello and stuff. And we we're standing in Lisa Marie's nursery. She wasn't in there. It was just Elvis and a bunch of guys. And he wanted to give me a demonstration with these new karate knives that he just got. So he did. He said, okay, throw a right. And I threw a right. And he said, okay, throw a left. So I threw a left. And then I thought, well, he knows I'm doing this. And I said, well, what if I do? And I threw a real quick punch and he hit me on the finger, thankfully with the dullian. And so it brought up a big blood blister. He just dropped those knives and grabbed my finger and he took me into his bathroom. And you would think it was major surgery here. And I was just going, it's just a blood blister. Oh, it's just not a big deal. But he was making this big deal out of it. And I'm standing there looking at him in the mirror, just going, if the people could see him now, just, you know, he, it's nothing major here, but, you know, he's that concerned over my injury. After he popped the blister, the, the first thing he said was, do you believe the Lord forgives us for our sins? And I, I looked at him kind of strange. I said, I mean, I was still looking at him in the mirror and I go, yes, Elvis. I said, we've discussed this for almost 17 years. You know, it's, he does forgive us if we ask for it. He said, good. That's what I wanted to hear. Did you have any sense of that that was ominous at that moment or that he was contemplating dying? No, sir, I didn't. If I had, trust me, I would have talked to him a lot more than what I did because I was kind of in a hurry. I wanted to get back home because I had to get up and go to work the next day. But as I was leaving, I'd already said I loved him once and I was walking down the stairs and he said, I love you, Billy. And I just kind of looked up at him and waved. And I was thinking about this conversation on the way home. Because, I mean, we were talking about my future, about love, all kinds of serious things. And then it dawned on me, I slammed on the brakes and I just kind of slid to the side of the road. And I thought, well, go back and tell him, you know, that you love him. And then a thought came to me, oh, you'll see him on the 16th, so don't worry about it. You know, I wish I had gone back now, listen to my gut feeling. But sadly, I never saw him on the 16th. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. 
All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Klaus and I watched the new movie about Elvis, and I was really surprised that Tom Hanks played Colonel Tom Parker. And you don't think of Hanks as being a mean, nasty, dishonest guy. And he did a very convincing job that, in fact, Colonel Parker was not a very nice man. Would Elvis have had a different career track had he had somebody else managing him other than Parker? I think Elvis's career would have gone a lot further if it hadn't been for Parker. The movie didn't really show how bad Colonel Parker really was. You know, I mean, now you're talking to somebody who was actually there for 17 years. So after the Army days, when he came out from 1960 all the way up to 1977, I mean, one of my memories of Parker was I was working for Elvis in 1972, and I was walking through the casino, and Colonel Parker saw me. He said, Billy, come here. So I walked over. And he started talking to me, and I saw he was playing roulette, and he had the biggest stack of chips I'd ever seen just sitting there in front of him. He wasn't winning. He was just pushing stacks out there on black or red or even or odd or some pick numbers and stuff like that. He even asked me for a number. I gave him a number. I can't, don't remember which one. But the conversation went on for about 15 or 20 minutes, and I finally stopped. I said, how much did you just lose? Because he didn't win anything while I was standing there. He said, oh, probably about $40,000. He said, but don't worry about it. My boy will take care of it. And when he said that, I knew who he was talking about. I just turned around. I walked away from him right then. I said, this is, you know, this guy. Nah. I mean, you get the sense that he really manipulated Elvis and exploited him in a way that made his health much worse. But Elvis was also, I got to say this, Elvis wanted to be in front of the people. Once he got finished with the movie contract, which was for seven years, he wanted to get back and doing the live performances because that's what he lived for is being in front of those fans. And he missed it because in movies, you don't get to do that. And he didn't do any concerts. So once that was over, he started back doing, you know, of course, he did the experiment with the 68 special you know, which went over very well. And then he performed for the first time live in Vegas in 1969. I remember that, like it was just yesterday, because I was 16. I wanted to go to Woodstock, but the family said, no, 
you're going on a family vacation and that's going to be Vegas. I thought, okay. And I hadn't seen Elvis since, since 1961. And I thought, well, all that's going to be there is just a bunch of old people and, you know, not much really. So I'm sitting there, I'm 16 years old in the Vegas showroom and I'm looking around and I see all these celebrities, you know, and I'm going, wow, this might be pretty cool. Elvis comes out and he starts his show. And I sit there, I think I took one breath during the whole show. My draw hit the table. I just sit there and I kept looking back and forth at my brothers and looking at Elvis going, who is this guy? We'd never met him before. <laughs> it was a completely different guy. I mean, I'd seen the movies and all that, but I never saw him live. And I realized then that is why they call him the king of rock and roll. Because I mean, I was a little bit of a rock and roller myself at that age. And I mean, I've seen a bunch of concerts before and since some big bands too. I mean, you know, like the who and you name it, you know, anybody that was famous back in the 70s, but nobody put on a show like that. That's when I went, wow. Now I know why they call him the king. He was really there at the beginning and he created the whole framework that popular music has followed ever since. I think he was probably the most popular single performer in the world. He would always kind of joke around. He said, well, what you see in the music world today, Billy, I created. He said, and I hope God forgives me for it. Too. <laughs> <laughs> when you learned of his death, was it a shock? Yes. Pretty much everybody that was with Elvis, it was a shock. You know, I mean, I know everything's been said since he passed away. Hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, and everybody, that's where they get this stuff. But it was a shock to everybody. Everybody in the family and everybody, well, you saw he had problems and this and that. You know, why didn't you say something? You know, trust me, people did say something to him, but I approached him one time. I was like 22, 23 years old. I said, do you think maybe some of this medication might be causing some of the problems? And he looked at me like, who are you to talk to me like this? You know, he said, Billy, you think I got to where I'm at today by listening to what people say? And I mean, this is my big brother talking to me. So I'm taking it. Okay. And he'd never lied to me before. So I believed him. I had no cause not to doubt him. He could handle this. I didn't know it till later on that I had to fight those demons myself when I had addiction, you know, and I put myself through a treatment center. In this book, I choose not to talk about that because to me, that's a dead horse that's been kicked so many times. The reason I wanted to do this is show another side of Elvis that people never really got to see. Well, in addition to Elvis, what was Vernon like as a stepfather? Well, he wasn't like the character they made him out to be in the movie. Vernon was a very strong individual. He knew the value of a dollar, and I mean, he was real tight with money. The only time they would ever get into a discussion is when Elvis would go out and buy like 16 Cadillacs at one time, and Vernon would come in going, you're going to drive us to the poorhouse? And Elvis would just go, well, at least we'll be going in a new car, Daddy. Don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> he said, I'll go do another tour or, you know, do something, you know, don't worry about it. You know, money was not Elvis's God. And what I mean by that is he didn't worship money at all. It was just a means to make other people happy. And that's all it was to him. That's amazing. But have you had a chance to see the film Elvis? Yes, I have. What did you think? Well, I went into it with an open mind because I knew it wasn't going to be accurate. First off, I knew it was going to be Hollywood. I wasn't wrong. They didn't show a lot of the Elvis that I knew. They didn't show him happy. They didn't show his generosity. They didn't touch on his faith. And everybody loves to defend the movie by saying, oh, that was Colonel Parker's perspective. Well, where did they get Colonel Parker's perspective from is what I want to know, because Colonel Parker's no longer here. 
He never wrote a book. I look at it as a nice little fantasy, but it's entertaining for the fans. And that's all that really matters. If the fans enjoy it, that's all that really matters. The thing that surprised me, I'm old enough that I remember the emergence of Elvis, and I had never quite put together how much Memphis and the whole combination of Veal Street and the music in the black community and then the music in the church, how all those things came weaving together at the very beginning of Elvis's musical career, and he somehow blended it into something brand new and something dramatically different. Exactly. Well, as he often said, rock and roll is a mixture of all types of music, you know, and gospel included. When you include all that, put it all together, and then the music is supposed to move you in some way. I mean, how many times did you sit there and heard a song and you start tapping your foot or, you know, patting your leg with your hand or something or moving just a little bit? That's the same thing Elvis did, except his movements were a little bit more exaggerated than ours. So that's all it was. It had an enormous effect, not just on American culture, but around the world. And, you know, you've done us a real service, I think, by recentering a lot of our understanding of Elvis around his faith and the importance of the kind of generous person and the kind of very human person that he was. And thank you for joining me. Your new book, The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Can Tell, I think reveals a side of Elvis Presley's deep faith and helps us better understand his music. And we're going to have a link so people can go and buy it. And I want to thank you for joining me in Newt's World and sharing with us. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure and an honor, <laughs> a big honor. I'll tell you right now, Elvis is smiling down at me today because I'm sitting here talking to <laughs> Newt Kendridge. <laughs> Thank you to my guest, Billy Stanley. You can get a link to buy his new book, The Faith of Elvis, A Story Only a Brother Can Tell, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360, if you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.